Good evening, everyone. I'd like to uh, begin the talk by again reminding you about mindful speaking and listening. And I thought I would begin by reading you the teachings from the Buddha, from the Majjhima Nikaya, Nikaya, from the um, number 10, which is the teachings of Satipatthana. And um, you'll hear how thorough the teaching is about mindfulness of the body. So the Buddha says a bhikkhu or bukini, a practitioner, is one who acts in full awareness when going forward and returning, who acts in full awareness when looking ahead and looking away, who acts in full awareness when flexing and extending one's limbs, who acts in full awareness when wearing one's robes and carrying one's bowl and uh, carrying one's uh, bowl, who acts in full awareness when eating, drinking, consuming food, tasting, who acts in full awareness when defecating and urinating, who acts in full awareness when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking, and keeping silent. In this way, one abides contemplating the body as a body internally, externally, both internally and externally, and one abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. So you hear the thoroughness of the teaching of this very simple practice of being right here in an embodied way, to be mindful of your body or aware of your body or aware of the aliveness that is sitting here. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. It can be a little deal, and little deals are good in the Dharma. They're, they're all good deals, the Dharma. But really, it's, it's like, oh, I, I just want to again encourage you right now, as I'm doing, to sense, feel, be aware of your body as you're listening. And so you're practicing right, right, uh, you're not right. You're practicing mindfulness of the body, both inter, uh, internally and externally, and in terms of listening at this moment. And I'm practicing it in terms of speaking at this moment. And it's and it's done. I again want to keep encouraging this because it's such a key for 27, 24-7 practice wherever we are. It's always, as long as we're here physically, the body's here and we can be here. And that hereness doesn't limit us to the body. That's another important thing to say. It doesn't mean that's all we're aware of at all. I hope, I hope you're aware of me right at the moment and my body, but also what I'm saying and what you're thinking and how you're feeling and everything else. But it's still grounded or centered here 
in the present moment aliveness that's sitting in each seat. And if you're lying down, then it's lying down in this seat. And uh, yeah, and I'll have that posted later so you can see it, have it for your contemplation. And of course, I, I basically said what he wrote before, but I said it more briefly. And I like to repeat things in the Dharma because I think repetition is powerful. If you notice, we're not asking you to do a lot. Basically, sit, walk, eat, piss, shit, sleep, sit, walk, eat, etc. But just very normal, simple things we're asking you to do. And we're doing it repeatedly because there's a power in the simplicity of here, of just being right here. And of course, we're supporting that right here with every instruction we're offering. Uh, all of us, you know, all the teachers and the yoga, I mean, it's all, this is all about being here. And so I'm going to repeat um, uh, what Winnie read last night from uh, Damadina the Bhikkhuni from this book. It's a book called The First Free Women. And I just love this book, really love this book. I mean, check it out. And Damadina said, for so long, I thought only of the river's end. I, for so long, I thought only of the river's end. Then one morning I set my paddle down to watch the sun rise over the eastern hills, only to find myself floating somehow gently upstream. I promise it was not what I had expected. I mean, really, I just feel like I could stop the talk right there. That's the whole talk is right there. It's not what I expected. Reality is not what we expect. The truth, the Dharma is not what we expect. And so letting go of our expectations, relaxing our cathexis to our, to our beliefs, to what we expect, starts to let the Dharma show itself to us. And I believe we're all here to learn the Dharma to wake up from the Dharma, to let the Dharma reveal itself to us right where we're sitting. And she says, I promise it was not what I expected. It's part of the paradox of we don't know what's going to happen. Everybody got that? Anybody know what's going to happen? Please raise your hand. Let me see. I've got a big screen. I get 50 people on the screen. So I get not everybody. And of course, I don't get the people whose names I see, meaning I get your names. But it's really, I love actually seeing you. So if you feel less shy and want to um, 
um, put on your video. I, I love to see who, who I'm here with. And I want to see, because we're doing this together. Thank you. Uh, that's one person. Really. That's, and, and I understand people are shy or private. Or, but don't be too shy, really. I like shyness. Shyness is a good thing in my book. Meaning, uh, one of my friends once wrote, shyness is a harbinger of being coming into the world. Shyness is a harbinger of being coming into the world. And it's, it's something beautiful about our, our, our really being here. And being here in what's sometimes called the vulnerable way, we can feel vulnerable and so we're shy. But it also, because, well, more people are showing up. Oh, I'm just like, I'm going to have a party here tonight. This is so good. Thank you. <laughs> uh, let me see if I'm the other one. Okay, no, that was it. Okay, but because it's more than one screen. I get 50 people on one screen. But um, uh, but the, the harbinger of being coming into the world, that's what we're doing here. We're becoming human beings and discovering the beingness that's inherent in the Dharma, the, 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 just the freedom to be and to be ourselves fully, totally, all the way to the end, as they say in Zen practice. I love that about Zen. When they talk about awakening, they say, oh, be yourself all the way to the end. Be yourself all the way to the end, even to the end of yourself, which is kind of wild because you get to be yourself, but you get to be yourself totally until there's not a self also. And it doesn't mean you always lose yourself and then you're gone. It just means they're both true. There's self and not self, and they're both true. And so you're hearing the paradox of, our, of the teachings and they're part of what's beautiful about the teachings is they're paradoxical. And I'll say more as I go on, but um, letting go of the idea we know what's gonna happen frees us to see what will happen. And I said, uh, oh man, I'm just getting piles of people here now. It's great, meaning your pictures and stuff. And really, it's just, it's, it's like, you know, we're here together and that's part of practice, right? We already talked about, you know, Buddha Dharma Sangha. It's a jewel, actually, even if we don't always like being with people, <laughs> which is also true sometimes. Uh, so the um, letting go of what we know brings what I talked about in one of my small groups today. It's one of the great spiritual books of the last century from Krishnamurti. He wrote a book called Freedom from the Known. Freedom from the Known. And the known often obscures what we don't know. And, and, and there's so much more to know to understand, to discover, to wake up to. Reality is so wild, so much wilder than we know. This is one thing I'm sure of. 
right? Reality is wild. And I know it from my own experience, both in Buddhism and in my other tradition, the Diamond Approach, and totally outside of both of them. It's still reality is wild. And we're discovering, we're gaining access to more and more of the reality that we are. The magic or mystery or beauty or wonder of who and what we are. John Cage, who was a, I don't know what the hell John Cage was. He was a writer, he was a musician, he was an artist in the last century. He had a great line, he wrote, he wrote, I am trying to become, I'm trying to be unfamiliar, excuse me, I am trying to become unfamiliar with what I am doing. I am trying to become unfamiliar with what I am doing. It means opening in each moment to what's here, even though we think we know what's here. And this is a very Eugene way to say it, but and actually it's not just Eugene, but every moment is actually brand new, has never been here before, will never be here again. That'll come more in the talk later. So um, when we see that we don't know what's going to happen, we also see we're not doing it, right? Even what Damadina was saying in her, right? Going out on the river and she's paddling, right? And and she looks up at the sun and over the eastern hills and beauty of, of nature appearing, right? Here's the sun, and, and we think we know what the sun is. What the hell is the sun? And where are we? We're in the cosmos, right? We're not just in San Francisco, which is where I am, or wherever you might be, whether it's New York or Fresno or Ireland or whatever, wherever you might be, right? We're not just there. We're on this planet that's spinning around in the cosmos. And it, I mean, That's wild in my experience when I think, oh, this is where I am. I'm just spinning around in the cosmos. And, you know, I kind of like that kind of spinning sometimes. But so um, part of what we're learning how to do is give ourselves to the Dharma, devote ourselves, offer ourselves, dedicate ourselves to practice. And then just be here and be aware of what's here. So even though on one level I'm saying a lot of words and, you know, it sounds like a lot, but really it's just like, oh, can we just be here, right? A very Another very famous spiritual book from the last century, which is, right, be here now. I mean, Ramdas kind of nailed it in three words. Can we just be here now? And he, he and he and his reality kept opening and opening and opening, even after he had a severe stroke. I can't remember if it was stroke, heart attack. I think stroke. Yeah, and uh, yeah, thank you, babe, Babs. Um, you know, and then it still kept opening, and his heart and his love just just radiated. 
I mean, people would just go to be with him. He could barely talk, and he was just he was just a beacon of of reality that had woken up. And that possibility is available for each of us, whoever we are. And just the one thing you should I want to encourage you to watch out for is the belief that you can't wake up because that's not true. That's just not true. That waking up can happen for anyone. It's not just for Buddhas up, you know, on a mountaintop, right? It's available for everybody. And it's one of the beautiful things the Buddha pointed at over and over again. Mm. And as I said, I can't remember if I said it in the small group or here about uh, what Munindraji said. Munindraji said, the whole Dharma is sitting here. The whole Dharma is sitting here. And he would point at you, right? And it was true. The whole Dharma is sitting right here. And, and it means all of us, body, heart, and mind, is the Dharma, is nature, is real, is alive. And there's more to discover right here. And so we do cultivate some, you know, a multiplicity of karmic qualities that allow us to just be here, right? So we're open. We, we develop some openness and relaxation. And we start to learn to let go of holding on to anything because we see we actually can't hold on to anything. It's one of the great paradoxes is we all think we can hold on to something and I don't know. It, one of the things that I see, I can't hold on to anything. I can think that I'm holding on to something. You know, here, I'm holding on to this, right? And okay, I mean, you know, just unconventional reality, I can hold on to it. But really, if I try to keep it forever, it'll just dissolve, actually, is what will happen. You know, and the same is true for this. This will take a longer time to dissolve, but I can't actually hold on to it. You know, I can keep it up in the air and I'm not going to drop it on my lap right now, but but especially states of heart and mind and consciousness, I can't hold on to them. I feel good, I feel bad. I don't have to hold on to them. They do themselves as we've been saying, right? I hope you've all noticed that the emotions do themselves. The thoughts actually do themselves 90% of the time. Every once in a while, I have a thought, really. And sometimes it's even a good thought. But mostly the thoughts just happen by themselves and I watch them and I'm aware of them. I'm mindful of the process of thought. Hmm. So the qualities of the Dharma qualities of openness, relaxation, letting go, not holding on. Somebody in one of the groups today used the word surrender. Beautiful word that just surrender to what's here or give oneself is how I say it to one's here and be kind and be warm towards oneself and giving up control, which I believe Winnie was pointing at last night. So we can simply be here 
and be aware, right? And discover the Dharma right here. And what we're working with is experiential reality. And so we're, we're, um, we're refining your, your um, experiential reality by saying, do less. Don't get on your phone. Don't go on the internet. Go, don't go on TV. Do the internet for the retreat, but that's it. You know, don't call people. Don't, don't do anything. Don't do anything extra. Keep moving closer to yourself, to what's sitting here, to what's listening, to what's thinking about what I'm saying, to what's having feelings about what I'm saying. Be, come closer to that. Be yourself all the way to the end. Keep seeing what's here. What's here when you're thinking? And, I, and you don't have to ask yourself or you don't have to... Remember, I'm pointing at um, a quality of the factors of awakening called investigation. But it's not something you have to do. It's just an inclination of the heart and mind to be curious and discover what's here. And so when I'm, when I'm aware of the thoughts, I'm not trying to figure them out or really figure out why they came or why they didn't come or what's right about them or wrong. I'm just aware of the process. And the process is happening by itself. And then I'm also become aware of the reactions that I have to the process. Actually, first I become aware of the reactions I have to the ideas, the beliefs, the memories, the the whole the whole. Um, funny, I thought of a Yiddish word, the, the whole mishpacha, the whole family of of stuff that comes in the mind. Uh, it's a different kind of poly Yiddish, um, <clears throat> but. Um, but it really, it really points at um, um, the possibility of just seeing reality and letting reality reveal itself by our simply being right here in a relaxed and aware way. And that's what we're asking from all of you. And yes, yeah, discovering the Dharma here and discovering it both our experience and our reaction to the experience, which of course was being pointed at when we talked about Vedana, about some things are pleasant, unpleasant, and neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And we have certain reactions to the pleasant. We want it, we like it, we think it's good. We have reactions to the unpleasant. We don't want it, we don't like it, we don't think it's good. And we tend not to have as much reaction to the neutral because we mostly don't notice it because we're all slightly addicted to complexity <laughs> and, uh, and to, uh, to stuff that has more charge. So pleasant and unpleasant have way more charge than neutral. And, uh, but, but as it was said, uh, the neutral bandwidth starts to become bigger 
the one thing I would have added to what was said about that in terms of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral is neutral is extremely pleasant, actually. It's a refined pleasant. It's not a gross pleasant. It's a subtle pleasant. It's, we could say it's a divine pleasant. You almost can't see the pleasure because it's so refined, but it's like there's a little, for me, the pleasant, the pleasure of simply being here and not having a big reaction is more pleasant than anything, right? It's like, oh, I love that. And it's not even, I think it that way. More it's like, oh, I just know this is good. I'm here and this is good. And there's something about reality that's revealing itself that's good. And the good, I can't even explain what the good is. I don't care what the good is. I just know that it's good. And you'll see that can happen anywhere in the retreat where you just know, oh, this is good. And if you try to explain it or you try to explain it after the retreat, someone who's never been on retreat, it's like they won't even understand what you're talking about. It's good just to sit still for 60 minutes and not move. And, oh, that's good. Wow. Are you, are you okay? They'll say, <laughs> you know, because it's just not the usual way we're sold happiness. We're sold happiness through the pleasant, through the something's going to make us okay instead of seeing we're already okay, which is what the Dharma, I believe, is selling us. Who and what is sitting here is already okay, and more than okay, bigger okay. Hmm. Hmm. So the question that often comes for people is why be in the present moment. This came up for somebody today. It actually is somebody who's having uh, what's called great doubt in Buddhism. It's not just doubt as a hindrance. It's another level of doubt that really questions all of the Dharma. And uh, it's, it's called great doubt. And it's really a part, it's a deepening part of practice that can happen for us. Most of us are hanging out in just doubting, oh, can I do this? Can they do this? Is the teacher right? Are they wrong? What the hell am I doing here? I could be out taking a walk in nature and it's blah, blah, blah. We doubt, we have that kind of small doubt. But great doubt asks a bigger question about what's the truth? And that's what I want to know. I want to know the, the truth of what's actually here. Whether it's the Dharma or not the Dharma, I don't care. I want to know the truth. Right? So it's really what happens when the principles of the Dharma start to get woven into our being. And it, and it doesn't, you know, we're not trying to become a Buddha. We're trying to discover the truth, the Dharma itself of reality. Hmm. So why be in the present moment was where I started. Be aware of what's here. Uh, in my 
opinion and my experience. It's to discover, realize the goodness and potential that's available in every moment, in every moment. Yeah. And, and this is where the goodies are, right here, right now. And I think I said it a little earlier, like this is the only moment there is, is now. Why would you not want to be here? Right? Even if it's hard, this is still the only moment there is. And the fact that the Dharma and the teachings are supporting us, right? The jewel of the Sangha and the jewel of the Dharma and the jewel of this archetypal uh, reality that the Buddha embodied is supporting us to discover the truth. And the truth as pointed at over and over again as right here. It's in this moment. It's discovered in and through this moment. I was thinking about this when I was preparing the talk about uh, Julio's grasping. And I, I love that that got brought up and, and, and you know, is wanting grasping? That's such a great question. Because I don't think so. I think you can want whatever you want. Believe me, my heart and mind wants all kinds of stuff. But it doesn't mean I want them. It's just my heart and mind wanting them. And, you know, sometimes I may go for them. Yeah, I'm trying to think, what did I want today? You know, I want to give a good talk. You know, we'll see if I get there. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's that was the, one of the biggest wants. I, I wanted the Sunday paper. I'm, I'm old, so I like newspapers still. I don't like reading the news online, but I like the Sunday paper. And so I asked my wife if she would get it. And she, she tried, but it was already sold out in the one little store that still sells papers. Most people don't even sell them around here. And so, uh, so I didn't get what I wanted, but I'm okay. I just want you to, not to worry about me. I'm all right without the paper. Um <laughs> Um, but but I, so I wasn't grasping for the paper, right? I just wanted it. And there are things, I, and even the talk, I want to give a good talk, but if I don't, it won't be the first time, right? <laughs> so, so I've lived with not giving good talks before, and it's okay. A good talk is usually good enough. That, that's what's true. I know I'm not saying anything bad, right? And that, you know, and if I do, believe me, you know, Winnie or Tuere or Greg will let me know or they'll they'll help me that way. Uh, but it really points to what Julio was asking about, which is liking is not grasping. Even wanting is not grasping. Enjoying is not grasping. Grasping is tightening, holding, clinging, right? And the paradox is we actually can't hold on to anything. We believe we can hold on to something. But, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, if there are anything you can actually really hold on to. Because I've lived a long, not that long, but a long life, 71 now, 71. 
And it's, um, you know, some of you are a little older than me, but not most of you. And on the team, I'm pretty sure I'm the oldest on the team. So I don't let them give me too much shit because I'm old enough to yell at them a little. And, uh, and, but really, and really, it's really the pleasure of being with friends on the team that one can be oneself all the way to the end and not take it too seriously, the being oneself, because that's not the end of the story. There's also the component that's called not-self. And here, not-self is point, well, I'll say one more thing, because uh, Judy, who's my age or older, she's you know talked about how getting older, um, uh, that the pleasure was simpler and simpler. And I just know that, and I love that. And it's really a great thing, she said, because for all of you people who are young, meaning teenagers or 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s, all you young people, it just gets better. You can just go out into the sun, and the sun is good, period. And, you, and you, it's, it's pleasurable. It's, it's enjoyable. It's a little bit delicious which is, of course, totally weird. But it's not weird when you have a certain perspective on reality. And the Dharma is all about shifting our perspective so that we start to see clearly what's true all the way to the end. This is what Sayadaw Utejaniya said. She, he said. He said, every one of us has inherent Buddha nature. Every one of us has inherent Buddha nature, the potential to awaken in any given moment to what is real, to what is. Can we find it? Can we take refuge in it? We all have this inherent Buddha nature, the potential to awaken in any given moment to what is real, to what is. Can we find it? That And of course, what he's pointing at is right here. It's this moment, whatever this moment is, is the doorway to what's here, right? What's here is not static. It's a word I like, static, because we tend to reify or concretize reality and think it's static, right? Like this moment has actually never, ever happened before and will never happen again, right? Does anybody not agree with me about that? I mean, you could raise your hand, I'm looking, because it's not static. Reality is doing itself, and we are reality. We are it, right? Mm. So I'm just looking at what I have. I've got like three more pages. That's a lot of talk. I like to riff. I used to be a musician for many years and I played improvised music and I love improvised music. Uh, and I loved improvised music that was outside the box. And, uh, you know, kind of jazz, of course, was just this brilliant gift to, to the world, uh, 
that was given by an enslaved people, right, who were here for 400 years dealing with the racism that built this country and the gifts that were given. And the music is one of them. And uh, and the jazz especially touched me and opened my heart and mind totally. And it was my first practice before I, before I was into Buddhism or meditation, I learned, I learned how to concentrate, how to give myself, devote myself and open to reality by playing improvised music because that's what you do. And when you hear the great jazz people, the people who I loved, which include Thelonious Monk or Charles Mingus or John Coltrane or Eric Dolphy or or uh, Ornette Coleman or people like the Art Ensemble of Chicago. And I mean, I'm just mentioning people who I love and, and I bow to because they, their gift lives with me. And they inspired me to become a musician, not at a young age. I was 20 when I started really playing music and studying music and I wanted to play improvised music. And um, and they were the people who inspired me and continue to inspire me. But I, and so I was a bad musician. So I practiced eight hours a day to try to get good. And I I I got okay. Yeah, I did a lot of practicing and performing, and even had a performing space in my house. Uh, and I had people from all over the world coming and playing this kind of strange music. And it was the outer edge of the jazz and more like the Art Ensemble of Chicago and uh, people like Albert Eiler and definitely Ornette Coleman-ish. He was just so brilliant. But, but, um, um, uh, but people really came and would perform and, and everybody was just expressing themselves all the way to the end. That's what you do when you're improvising. Like, there's nobody like Ornette Coleman except Ornette Coleman. There's nobody like John Coltrane except John Coltrane. There's et cetera, et cetera. There's, yeah. Hmm. And so, um, and so I studied and that taught me so many skills that then I took into meditation because I realized, oh, it's the same thing. You give yourself fully and then you stay present and see what's here and what needs to happen so that it can continue to let reality reveal itself. Because when you're really improvising good, you're not doing it. It's doing you, right? You're not doing it. You you have the, developed all these skills so that the body, heart, and mind does itself and the music comes through you. And all the great musicians I know when they're improvising, I don't think anybody would, would disagree with me about that. And so partly, you know, it's always good to look at why you came on retreat and what you hoped for. Was it love or joy or happiness or freedom or liberation or, right, awakening, right? And then to remember, we don't know what will happen, but we can give ourselves or devote ourselves and see. 
because it's paradoxical. It doesn't happen one way or the way we think it's supposed to happen. Like Damadina, she put down her paddle and then her boat's going upstream, right? That's how awakening happens. It's a paradox. It's a mystery. We don't do it. It does us. This is from the great Tibetan teacher, Pema Chodron. She said, as human beings, we want resolution. We, we feel we deserve resolution about things. We deserve something better than that. And she says, we deserve something better than resolution. We deserve our birthright. We deserve our birthright, which is the middle way an open state of heart and mind that can relax with paradox and ambiguity. And that's part of what we're asking of you is to relax with paradox and ambiguity of just being right here, whether it's good or bad, right or wrong, pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, just to be right here with what is happening. Hmm whether it's paradoxical or ambiguous. Right? And so the other thing that will support you is doing one thing at a time. Don't do two things. You can take a few notes when I'm talking or when somebody's talking, but make it very few. Let the, let the talk just come in you. It will, what's needed will stay with you. Mm because all we're doing is reminding you of what's here, what's already here for you to discover, for you to realize, for, we, for you to allow to become real. Utejaniya, Saito Utejaniya said, to be reminded of our awakened nature is the very heart of this practice. And that's all we're doing here. We're all reminding you. And I love the paradox of the Dharma. I've given whole talks about the paradox of the Dharma. And I love how it's been handed down over generations and different cultures and peoples. And one of my great teachers, Ryokan, the Zen monk from, I believe, the 17th century, he said it this way. He said, the Buddha is your mind. The Buddha is your mind. And the way goes nowhere. <laughs> That's like such a great line. I always stop there. Buddha is your mind and the way goes nowhere. Don't look for anything but this. If you point your cart north when you want to go south, how will you arrive? And remember, you don't have to write down the quotes even because I'll, I'll, we'll post them. We give them to the retreat coordinators and they'll help us all with this. Or again, I'm going to continue with the paradox of the Dharma, the ways that it's expressed. This is from Alan Watts. He said this in the last century. He said, when we are looking for things, there is nothing but mind. But when we look for mind, there is nothing but things. When we are looking for things, there, are not, there is nothing but mind. But when we look for mind, there is nothing but things. And I love the 
beauty of the paradox of, oh, it's this, it's that, it's neither this nor that, it's both this and that. That's how paradoxical reality is. And we're here and it wakes us up when we relax, when we open to the ambiguity, right? That Pema Chodron pointed at, the paradox. So the simplicity of being ourselves, right? And being aware and the paradox of awareness. And we'll point at this over and over again at awareness, because of course that's, you know, sati could be translated as mindfulness or awareness. And, and you know, so the four foundations of awareness is legit way to talk about it as far as I'm concerned. Mindfulness is currently very in vogue. It's really amazing how how hip mindfulness is everywhere in in this country and I assume a lot of the world. And and it's a good thing, but uh, it's often it's often a little bit extracted from the Dharma, which is not a good thing in my opinion. But um, but it's amazing when we start to keep looking into Satipatthana and the depth of the teachings of awareness that the Buddha offered. And here's one of the great paradoxes that I like to point out often about uh, awareness. Actually, there's a couple, which is awareness is not bound to what it's aware of, right? Awareness is not bound to what it's aware of. This is a Eugene Cash quote, right? So you could put my name on there. Awareness is not bound. We get bound to things. We get attached to things. We get confected to things. We get identified with things. We believe something is ours so we can keep it, even though that's not true, right? But, but awareness is not bound to what it's aware of. Awareness is simply aware. And one of the ways I like to encourage people to play with this is to stop being aware, right? And please raise your hand when you stop being aware. I'm gonna look around and see who stops being aware. Okay. Okay, good. So far, this group is okay. You're not disagreeing with me when I say you can't, right? You, and, you know, because I say stop being aware because we can't stop being aware because we're not doing the awareness. It's doing itself. And we're, and we're aware Whenever we're awake, we're aware of something. Again, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, like it or not like it, good or bad, right or wrong, beautiful, ugly, whatever it might be. Mm. Mm. A couple last things. This is from St. Francis of Assisi, which is not a Buddhist. He's not a Buddhist monk. He's a Christian monastic 
Catholic, I believe, uh, who said, what you are looking for is what is looking. What you are looking for is what is looking. So just now take a moment and sense or feel what it is that is looking. What is aware? What you are looking for is what is looking. And we can start to sense or feel it's very subtle or simple or ephemeral or almost nothing that's here that's looking. And then the last little quote that I love that I want to throw in, partly because it's it's what we're encouraging you to do with everything. And it's the same, similar to what I was pointing at in the first teaching from the Majjhima Nikaya about the body and movement and staying present. But it's from Bahia. Bahia of the bark cloth is the name of the sutta. And, uh, and Bahia was an ascetic who was seeking freedom, awakening, and he asked, he asked for help, and the gods come down and, and say, what you're doing doesn't work. You need, to go, you need to find the right way. And he says, is there a right way? And they say, yes, the Buddha. And, and he says, okay, I'll go. And in the, in the mythology of the scripture, um, he goes overnight. He, he walks 100 miles overnight. So he's very dedicated, and he's... He gives himself fully to the practice. He, and so on a hundred night and he walks to where the Buddha is and it's about, it's about noon that day. And uh, he sees some of the monastics and he asks where the Buddha is and they tell him and he goes to find the Buddha and he wants teaching from the Buddha. He wants to awaken. He wants to know, what do you know? And I'm, I'm using my own language, probably not exactly what Bahia said. He said, what's up? guy, you know, but, um, um, and the Buddha said, uh, he said, please, he said, tell me what, give me the teachings. And the Buddha says, no. So even that is just, I mean, that's a whole phenomenal part of the sutta. I mean, how would you like to run up to the Buddha, run into the Buddha, like here in Golden Gate Park tomorrow, and you would say, hey, can you give me the teachings? And the Buddha says, no, you know, I mean, that's like, that's like, sounds bad, right? But Bahia is persistent. And he asks, and he asks, he ends up asking a second time. The Buddha says no. And third time's the charm in Buddhism. I've, I've never understood why, but I trust that it's the charm. And he asks the third time and the Buddha says, okay. But I, and the Buddha's saying no. Why is the Buddha saying no? Because it's time to eat. That's why it's his lunchtime, right? So he's got his bowl. He's saying, I need to go get my, I'm hungry, bro. You know, I need to get my food. And so, and, and so, uh, and Bahia, you know, Bahia, oh, I remember it. It's the second one. Bahia says, neither you nor I know how long things last, meaning himself. And I want to get the teachings 
before things change in that way, meaning before he dies or before the Buddha dies. So he trumps the Buddha with impermanence. That's actually how it goes. And then, and so the, then he asks the Buddha a third time, the Buddha goes for it. And here's what the Buddha says. And listen to how simple the teaching is. Bahia, train yourself thus in the seen will be merely what is seen in the heard will be merely what is heard in the sensed will be merely what is sensed in the cognized will be real, merely what is cognized in this way you should train yourself in the scene just the scene in the herd just the herd in the sense just the sense in the cognized just the cognized and when when you train yourself in this way right when you're just with the simplicity of what's of seeing like right now just be aware that you're seeing and the sights coming into your eyes the sight shapes colors just be aware of it Right? And my voice, just be aware of it. The sound, you're aware of seeing and hearing. And you're aware of the cognition, cognition the, the thoughts, and, and the feeling, the sense, what is sense, the body. That's all. Just being aware of it, not having to do it. Right? Just being aware of it. Because it's already doing itself. The sights are coming in if your eyes are open. The sounds are coming in if my mic's working good enough, etc. And he says, he says, when you train yourself in this way, um, then Bahia, you will not be with that. And when Bahia, you are not with that. Then Bahia, you are you are not in that. When Bahia, you are not in that, then Bahia, you will neither be here nor there nor in between. Just this is the end of suffering. You will not be here nor there nor in between. Just this is the end of suffering. So let's sit for a moment, please. And just relax and be here with whatever's here. Tired body, energized body, a mind with a lot of thinking happening by itself, some feelings, emotions, the mood, happy or sad. The sound of my voice and in a moment the bell. Just be with what's here in all its simplicity.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.